Thanks, Josh. How's everybody doing tonight? Happy uh, St. Patrick's Day. Happy Sadness March Sadness Day. Everyone's bust, brackets busted today. If you if you guys are into that, like like I am. Today was a kind of a sad day when Villanova lost, but that's okay. <laughs> Life goes on, right? It's good to see you guys tonight. We're just welcome to Rimrock Downtown. So glad you guys can join us. Um, you know, just really blessed for you guys to be here with us on such a nice day. So many things you guys can do, and yet you choose to come together here and just worship with us. And we're really, uh, we just, just love having you guys here. We love worshiping alongside you guys. So I just thank you for that, and happy to see you guys. So um, one of my favorite things, I get to talk about one of my favorite things in Scripture today. And so I'm pretty excited about it, right? I get a little nerdy about it, but that's fine. Um, but one of my favorite practices in Scripture and, and things that God commands us to do is to celebrate things in our lives. It's pretty amazing, you know, when thinking about God and meditating about God, to think that a God so grand, a God so majestic, a God so creative, a God so, you know, everything He is, that a God like that would value something seemingly as trivial as celebrations. Um, that a God like that would, you know, would... In, Tell us to, to hold those in high regard and, and even command us to practice them. But what I think it tells us is that there's not, nothing trivi- trivial about those things in our lives. You know, I think we've, we've taken this concept of celebration and we've expanded it in our culture to so many things. And I, I love it. Right? And what I think part of celebrations do is they lead us to remembrance. Right? You think of like a birthday. You know, birthday celebrate, you know, another year well-lived, uh, maybe early on in life it looks a little different than later on in life, right? But it's a, it's a time to celebrate another year lived, another, uh, you know, another year of things passing, and it's a time to really reflect on the years that have come before you and maybe look ahead to the future. Things such as Christmas, okay? In, in our culture, we've taken Christmas. We take Christmas and we celebrate to remember the birth of our, our Savior Jesus, Right? And we've taken that idea and have expanded into this huge thing. And, and some people, you know, hate Christmas, but, you know, I've got some friends that are that way. But for the most part, we, we love Christmas and what it represents and what it brings us to with our family. Um, Easter is a big one. That's coming up here in a few weeks, right? We, as Christians, we celebrate Easter as, um, the de- for the death and resurrection of our Lord um, and Savior Jesus Christ. Another one um, that I, it's coming up, a big one's coming up for me is anniversaries, right? Wedding anniversaries. Where uh, my wife and I are celebrating our 10 year coming up this summer in July. We're planning a, you know, a big celebration for that. You know? And we use anniversaries to, to remember you know, the commitments we've made and, and the life that we had together and the love that we had to, together. And it's just a chance to remember it, right? So, you know, when we set aside rituals, traditions, celebrations, and celebrations um, to mark certain event, events, it calls us back to remembering their importance in our lives. Right? As human beings, we're, we're habitual forgetters. Right? We just are. So setting up s- celebrations calls us back to the parts of our lives that are worth celebrating. And it uh, helps us remember who we are, the promises that we've made, the commitments that we're part of, and the blessings that we have all around us. I, I saw a video uh, that the, the Malats posted of their little guy Crosby uh, commemorating his third birthday, I think it was. Um, and it was kind of a video journey of of uh, finding out they're having a baby, to telling people they were pregnant, to, to being born, to him growing up and becoming a big brother. And it was really well done, and it just told like a little, like brief little history story of his life, of his young life. And when we take 
time to remember those things like that, they become so real to us all over again. Don't they? And it grounds us to who we really are and what is really important because sometimes those things can get lost in the craziness and the busyness of life, especially being, making habits out of forgetting like human beings tend to do. In our text today, uh, we find an account that has established such a celebration for us in the church that um, really we've been practicing since, since its inception centuries ago. I think this is something definitely worth studying because I believe it brings us back to remembering who we are, whose we are, and the amazing love and grace of our Creator God. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to dive into our text today. Father God, we just thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity we get to celebrate being your children. Father, we get the chance to celebrate you, to worship you through that. So, Father, I pray that as we dive in this text, that you open up our hearts, you just um, speak clearly through your word, through your spirit. And, Father, that we can just be challenged by this text today, by your truth, and it can lead us to a place of worship. It can lead us to a, a place of sanctification through remembering your son, Jesus Christ, and what he did for us on the cross. Father, we thank you for that gift, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in our text. Uh, we've been going through this book of Mark. If you guys have been here for that, if not, that's okay. We're going to be in chapter 14. Um, start, we're going to be in verses 12 through 26 today. If you guys have a Bible, want to follow along, I encourage you to turn to Mark 14. If not, uh, we'll have the scriptures up on the screen as well. But we're going to start in verse 12. We're going to read through 16 here at the beginning. It says this, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room, and may I eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready, make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and they found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the, the Passover. Okay, so before we go on, I just want to set the stage a little bit here. Um, Jesus and his disciples had been traveling around. Jesus had been preaching. He had been discipling the twelve and just kind of training them up. And here in our passage, it came time for the Passover celebration. So to understand the Passover, we need to go back to Exodus 12. Okay? Uh, where it tells the story of the tenth and final plague that God brought upon Egypt, uh, which was the death of all of the firstborn sons throughout their land. The celebration of the Passover is when God passed over all of those who had put the blood of a sacrificial lamb across the doorways as he had commanded them to do. This was an extension of God's grace and provision, and it established a time of celebration which is still celebrated today by the Jewish people. Um, the celebration is done to commemorate and to remember this act of grace by God. The Jews viewed this as the most redemptive part of their early history, and it's still viewed um, as such today by them. So to celebrate this, they spend around a week celebrating what is called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which we just read about in our text in Mark. So during this feast, they would sacrifice a lamb, which represents the atonement for their sins. Um, th there's a sprinkling of blood of that animal, which represents the purification of God's people from within. And then they eat that animal, which represents sanctification, growing closer to God and becoming more holy. That's what that word sanctifi sanctification means uh, um, for those who ate it. 
Okay? So this is what and how, the, how Jesus and his disciples were preparing to celebrate. That's what they're talking about right here. And it's a very big event. And it, wa- it was and continues to be a huge cornerstone celebration for the Jewish people. So for, for us, think Easter for, for us as Christians, okay? Um, so it makes sense that they would be making plans to celebrate this to- together. But what, as, we see, as we will see diving into this text, um, I think that there is a lot of significance to what Jesus is establishing during this meal in comparison to the Passover in light of the cross that was to come only a short few days after this moment. We're going to continue on our text in verse 17. It says this, When evening came, Jesus arrived at the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Okay, there's a couple things I just want to take some time to talk about and to take note about of these, out of these few verses. First of all, I want you to picture this setting. Okay, I want you to put yourself in this story. Okay? They're in the upper room of a nice house. Um, they, they had made arrangements for this feast, and it was an important feast at, like, at that, like, I, like I've said. Um, usually in a room, in a setting like this, the people you shared this type of meal with had a deep sense of intimacy with one another. In their culture, this meal would usually be made up of one, maybe two families, but all would be very close with one another. It's not like a potluck type of thing. Uh, that you might see at a church picnic or, or family reunions, right? It's, it's an intimate setting, and it's an important meal that people enjoyed together with those that they loved. Okay, for us today, I, I think to family meals during, like, Christmas or Easter, right? Usually those are spent with, with close family members and friends, and it's an intimate and joyful setting. And I don't, I don't think this situation would really be any different for them. Jesus was, was meeting in this upper room for this feast, with his disciples, his family, as he kind of viewed them at this point, and they were celebrating the Passover together. This just shows that the love that they had for Jesus and the love that they had for each other, because they were taking the time to celebrate this with one another. So with that in mind, this claim that Jesus makes, that someone in such an intimate setting would step up and betray him, would have been shocking. Okay? You didn't spend this meal in this setting during this occasion with the type of people who would betray you like that. You didn't dip bread together with someone who you weren't loyally bonded to. Especially when the leader of that group was Jesus, who was the Son of God, the Messiah. I kind of picture that room being you know, a joyful but, a, but reverent place. You know, They were enjoying a meal and in the celebration together, but then Jesus changes the mood a little bit, and, and he proclaims that one of them was going, to betray, uh, was going to betray him. And I can just picture the air being let out of the room. You know what I mean? The, the tension level raising to, to maximum levels, the, the hair standing up on the backs of all their necks, and their hearts just dropping into their stomachs out of sadness. You know that they believed Jesus when he said this. Jesus had proven his word to be plenty reliable throughout their extensive time with one another. 
even up to the moment where he had told them to go into town and find a man who would lead them to the very room that they were sitting in at that very moment, right? Jesus' word was reliable. So when, when he says, one of you is going to betray me, they were saddened by it because they, they, the gravity of what Jesus said began, er, said began to sink in and they knew it was true. And our text reads that one by one they said to him, surely not I. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of confidence with that, right? And I think part of the tension in the room was that they were all searching their hearts at that moment. Could it be me? If Jesus was saying that one of us was going to do this, is it possible that it's me? Would I be willing to betray Jesus if the price was right? Or to save my own skin? You know these were questions that they had to have been asking themselves over and over again, over time, even before Jesus made this proclamation. Especially when the tensions between Jesus and the religious leaders kept growing and growing. So this tension in this room very well could have been out of pure conviction. And people, each one of the disciples asking, man, could it be me? Surely not me. One other thought that I found kind of interesting as I was studying up on this was that to dip your bread into the cup at the same time as Jesus could be seen as a rejection of his authority. It could be kind of a stretch, but, but I like where this is going. It's, it's, it's worthy of at least thinking and consider, considering because um, that's, in this situation, Jesus being their leader and ultimately their host would have the high honor in the room, right? And it was customary that such a person, person would dip first and pass the cup around. Okay, now this might not have been the case. We don't really get a clear picture of the details of how it went down. Uh, but Judas, who we know was the person that Jesus ends up um, saying would, was going to be, uh, would, would betray him, it is possible that Judas could have been revealing his heart with this act alone because we know that it's Judas that he's referring to. Now we get a picture out of this, or of this out of Matthew 26. It's 23 to 20, through 26, what says this. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it was written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, you have said so. So maybe this act alone was revealing Judas's heart even before the betrayal itself. Maybe not, but it's an interesting thought to think of and to consider. On to verse 22. It says this, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when, uh, when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Now, the physical breaking of bread was customary. They did this instead of cutting it, like we usually do today. Um, usually the host would begin this by offering a blessing and tearing off the first piece and then passing it on. For such an offering, Jesus says a peculiar thing here. It says that he, gives thank, he gave thanks. But he says kind of a peculiar thing, which is different than the traditional offering or blessing. He says, this is my body. Now, obviously, at least I think it's obvious, Jesus didn't mean this literally, right? Now, the custom Jewish blessing during this meal, I I found this. The custom Jewish blessing during a meal was this. um, This is the bread of affliction our ancestors ate when they came from Egypt. Okay, so that, that's kind of the customary blessing they would give. So if this was taken, this customary blessing was taken literally, then the bread would have been centuries old, not to mention already eaten. So it didn't, didn't really make sense, right? So Jesus, if he's kind of following 
the mold of that blessing, kind of the style of that, the traditional blessing, it, it seems clear that he's not being literal, literal here. He was being metaphorical and following in tradition with providing a blessing. But this blessing had a special meaning. In the Gospel account of Luke, um, chapter 22, verse 19, it's recorded as this. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus refers to this broken bread as his body given to his disciples. And to do this in remembrance of him. To break bread in remembrance of him. This might have been kind of confusing for the disciples at this time. But it made sense later when Jesus offered his body to be beaten, crucified, and killed for their sins. And he wanted them to remember what he was about to do for them. So Jesus tells them to do this in order to remember the sacrifice he was about to make. Now remember, they're celebrating the Passover meal. Where a different kind of sacrifice had saved them before from losing their firstborn sons. So you begin to see Jesus establish a new celebration before his disciples here in this upper room at the very time they were celebrating something as old and important as the Passover. I'm going to move on. Verse 23. It says this, Then he took a cup, and and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day, that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now we read, first about the bread, now we read about the cup of wine. Okay? As you can see by now, their dinner practices at this time were pretty different than how we practice today. Right? It just isn't quite the same thing. It looked a little different. In settings like this, they would typically share like one cup of wine. Okay. Over time, in tradition, they, they started adding cups um, to be used at the dinner table. It's kind of hard to know how many they were using traditionally at this time. Some, some people say some two, some people say three, but it seems like they only have one. It doesn't really matter. It's just kind of uh, just for historical context. Uh, but from the text, we kind of get this idea that they had one, one cup. Okay? So it, this isn't a normal toast where everyone has their own glass, they raise their glass, and do that type of thing, right? like we do at meals today. It wasn't that type of toast. Jesus mentions something pretty serious. He says, this is my blood of the covenant. Okay, when we look at covenants all throughout the Bible, we see that they were, they were ratified uh, or authenticated by blood sacrifices. So we're seeing Jesus explaining the establishment of a new covenant that is to come very shortly through the authentication, authentication from his blood. Okay. Now remember, it's not literal. Jesus is setting up a celebration for his people to practice going forward and to make an analogy between what he is about to do and the Passover. So he's not, he wasn't speaking of, of, of this being his actual blood, okay? That'd be gross, for one, and very offensive to the Jewish people, right? Because they didn't, they didn't do anything with blood. They had to drain the blood, cook all the blood out of things. They, it, was very, it would have been very, very offensive. So it's not literal, once again. But let's go back to the Passover for just a second, okay? God redeemed his people in Exodus 12, by the blood of the Passover lamb. Jesus, here in this moment, is making the claim that his blood sacrifice that is to come very soon is to serve as a similar purpose. What we can take away from this with the knowledge of the Passover and bringing all the context into this is that the upcoming crucifixion that Jesus is alluding to coincides with the celebration of the Passover. So Jesus' blood is going to serve as the implementation of God's grace in some way. 
It's going to serve as the payment, which traditionally in light of the Passover meant that it was going to serve as the atonement for sins, the purification of one's heart and soul, and lead to the sanctification of those um, whom the sacrifice was for, God's people. So Jesus is establishing what we call the Lord's Supper, communion, as a celebration to be practiced in the future, to remember, to remember the sacrifice he is about to make to save his people, similar to the blood of the Lamb in Exodus 12. Just like the Jews would celebrate the Passover with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Jesus is establishing a new celebration to remember the sacrifice that he's about to make. And we see, going down the road in the future of the early church, we see the Apostle Paul understand this concept years down the road when he refers to Jesus as the Passover lamb in 1 Corinthians 5-7. We also see him understand the the celebration of the Lord's uh, Supper in this context in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 23-30. But all this to say that I believe that there is a definite connection between the Lord's Supper and the Passover. More specifically, the sacrifice Jesus is about to make and the sacrificial lambs that were used to cover God's people in Exodus 12. And what I think this does, guys, is that, I, that the connection between these two highlights the redemptive nature of Jesus' death to come. Okay, the connection between these two highlights the redemptive nature of Jesus' death. That means that Jesus' death is going to atone for the sins of his people, that Jesus' blood is going to purify and cleanse his people, and that Jesus' body sanctifies those who eat it with this practice of the Lord's Supper. By sanctify, like I mentioned earlier, I mean it makes us more like Christ, more like God, because remembering the work of Christ glorifies God and brings us closer to him. Just like the Passover... Constantly celebrating and remembering what God did for them in Exodus 12 brought them closer to God and more like God in character. That's why it was such a big deal for them. This is how I believe it is for us today with the true celebration of the Lord's Supper, also known today as communion. Jesus established this practice of communion in order that we would continue to have the opportunity to be sanctified through remembrance. Because such a remembrance as what the, as to what the Lord's Supper stood for, leads us to humility and it leads us to worship. Sanctification through remembrance is an incredible gift that was given to us by God through the teachings of this passage in Mark 14. It allows us to constantly remember the ultimate gift that God gave us through His body, through His blood, and sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. It, Good. If communion isn't something that you guys have practiced before, that's what we're, we're going to do that today, okay? But if it's not something you've practiced before, then I want you to think about it for a moment. I want to take some time just to talk about what we're about to do, okay? If you're a follower of Christ, this is something that Jesus himself calls us to do to remember what he did for us on the cross. It's not something we should take lightly. And when we remember this, when we take time to do this, I believe it centers our hearts and it draws us closer to God because it helps us remember His deep, relentless love for us. Josh just saying about that. His love is relentless. It's, kind of, it's what this picture, picture of communion is for us. It, it draws us to God and makes us remember how relentless His love for us is. And that should call us closer to Him by leading us to live, more, to live more like Christ, to live in the spirit that He gives us, and to put off our flesh and, and the things of this world that really aren't all that important, all to glorify and worship our Heavenly Father who deserves every ounce of our praise 
that we could possibly give him. So to do this, we practice a thing called communion. Sometimes you pass around in trays. Today we're going to go to tables. Set up two tables here. And we're going to go to the tables. You're going to take a piece of bread. You're going to dip it in the juice, and you're going to eat it. All to remember the sacrifice of Christ that he made for us. That's, so that's what we're going to do today. It's, you don't have to. This is an optional thing. It's, it's a, a way to worship God. It's, it's, it's a way to, to practice this. Um, so as a body, we're at least going to set up that stage to be able to do that. And we're going to practice sanctification through remembrance. Drawing closer to God by remembering what Christ did for us on the cross. And we're going to do exactly what the disciples did with Jesus all those years ago. I mean, when Jesus gathered around that table with his 12 disciples, this is what they did. We get to practice something that they did all those years ago here together. The worship team's going to come up, and they're going to play a song. And I ask you during this song um, to take some time in prayer with just you and God. Okay? Get some things off your chest. Pray, pray for him to sanctify you through his spirit. And then I ask you to go and to, and to take the bread up at the tables, to dip it in the juice, that we ha- and to eat it. And then I ask you to come back to your seats and to continue to worship our great Heavenly Father. Remember, guys, celebrations call us back to the parts of our lives that are worth celebrating. And it helps us remember who we are, and in this case, whose we are. It reminds us of the promises that we've made, the faith that we have, the commitments that we're a part of, and the blessings that we have all around us. What a blessing it is to have a God who sent His very own Son to die for us so that we may have life. That's worth celebrating. That's worth remembering. That's worth worshiping God for. Let's pray. Father God, we just um, come before you today in a time of celebration. God, I love that you love for us to celebrate. It's just just a really cool picture of your character. You love for us to come together in joyful moments of celebration of remembrance, Father. And I pray that during this time, that this is one of the greatest celebrations of all that we can have. Celebrating you, celebrating what your Son did for us on the cross when you redeemed us. Father, that, you're a God of redemption. You did it all the way back in, in Exodus 12 in that story, and you continue to redeem us today, Father. And I pray as we just go forward and practice this today, that we just take the time to remember what your son Jesus did for us. May that lead us before your throne. May that that lead us to, to worship you. May that draw us closer to you. May we be sanctified through this remembrance, Father God. And may you get every bit of the glory because you are worth it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. When you guys are ready, you can go up and take communion.